32 counties. 32 questions. Her name is usually Una and my name is Andrea. And this is United Ireland. Every week we take a county and dive into an issue relevant to that county and then see where in the world it brings us. This week's county is Limerick. And this week's question, fear and contagion, HIV's lessons. We're going to kick off and not forget to plug our Patreon. The rewards, I know we've said this about a hundred times, are actually going out this week. The envelopes are in my house. The totes are ready. The badges are there. And they can be yours because I've shown the totes, the finished product to people and they are, they are delicious. So if you would be delighted to have a tote, you know what to do. Pop onto our Patreon and buy some content from us and give us a little bit of support. It would be very uh, well received, shall we say. Before we go on to news, we have to have a chat about the ongoing general election 2020 aftermath. Perhaps coronavirus has provided the perfect storm for some people, at least. Um, Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael in particular. It looks like they're going to be going back into government with support from the Greens. Now, this has probably been on the cards for a while, but what coronavirus has done is actually provided a platform for there to be less outrage and protest against it because people are going into panic mode with coronavirus. Um, The panic is setting in and people just want a government in place to manage it. So it feels like the tides are coming into into foam. Is that going to be a new... (laughs) The tides are coming into foam for Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael um, as they are having intensive chats. They had some chats already, but it's going intensive. So we'll be watching that uh, with our magnifying glass over the next few days and see how public opinion is going to take it. In other news... um, Something that's been quite prevalent is uh, the question of what is Brexit? It seems like it's just a distant memory. We all seem to have uh, forgotten what's going on with Brexit. And rightly so, because obviously coronavirus and its containment and then delay is the news right now. Should schools be closing? Should parades be cancelled? Are we moving fast enough? These are all the questions uh, that are being thrown up at the moment. And there's so many different differing opinions and it's it's very easy to get into an anxiety uh, attack. I had one last night after doing a lot of research on it. But then we have to keep on trucking. The things that are very worrying though is the fact that our health system will not be able to handle a huge um, outbreak. Ireland has 5.2 intensive care beds per 100,000 while the European average is 11.5. So we really need to be listening to the people, the officials who are giving us advice. Even if you're hearing they're not moving fast enough, take personal responsibility. Do what they're telling you to do and follow the rules. Um, Wash your hands, stay away from people, have the social distancing. And if people think you're wild for isolating, grand. If we can get through this, and in two weeks going, God, we really overreacted to that and really went too far and nothing, and we're in a very good position. Isn't that the best way we can possibly be? Um, and also, I always think the government, now this, I might need a little tinfoil hat for this and if Una's here, she would definitely be slagging me. Uh, sorry, Una. But the government know more than we know. And no matter what we say, we should know this or we should know that. There's a way to handle public panic, public uh, like rushes on toilet roll, etc. And the fact is they know more than we do and they are managing it in a way that brings the best results 
possible. And we have to trust in our elected officials on this. And obviously, we have a lot of questions over there, um, the way they handle things. But in a case like this, we have no but choice. Take the personal responsibility. And then the chief medical officer, Tony Holohan, Dr. Tony Holohan, has said the government has to ensure it doesn't implement measures too early as they may lose the public's compliance if the situation continues for a long time. Um, So there are reasons behind why schools aren't uh, closing, why the parade was cancelled so late. Um, And there is a balancing act that we do have to we do have to continue on after this. So I'm glad that I don't have to make those calls um, and we d- we just have to have a bit of trust in those. And uh, Simon Coveney said, we're trying to issue advice based on the public threat. We need to listen to the experts and this response needs to be expert driven rather than politicians going on a solar run and meetings are happening every day. So please just do what you're told, wash your hands, follow the rules, self-isolate and let's get through this together and let's not blame each other, let's not have any anger or hate and let's uh, just do our best. Uh, Separate to coronavirus, there is other things happening still, uh, is the rezoning of Dublin city lands for up to 1,900 homes has been dropped. Now, obviously, the minute you hear that, it was because of council officials and local protests. You're like, oh, here we go. NIMBYism at its finest. But when you read into it a little bit more, there seems to be a type of fear of the type of developments that will go in. Like people seem to have lost faith and trust in the powers that be um, as power has been completely stripped from councillors to make any sort of meaningful decisions and input onto what type of uh, buildings are going up, what type of homes are going up. And um, I think that really speaks for itself of how people are just, they don't trust developments that are going in um, and we we need to look at this and how we're going to put power back into local governments another thing that happened this week has Dermot Desmond been hanging out with Anna Breen have they become best friends there was an opinion piece from Dermot Desmond in the Irish Times now there was a lot of to and fro of the reasons behind it but you have to agree that all the points in there were, were very sensible um, and he's a clever guy maybe we need to be listening to him. Hello, De- Dermot. Uh, today, which is Wednesday the 11th, uh, Harvey Weinstein is going to be sentenced to potentially 29 years, um, which is which is huge. That's really all I have to say on that. Another huge thing, uh, Australia, the country, uh, yes, Australia, the country, rather than Australia, the woman, um, is suing Facebook for 529 billion for violating the privacy of 311,127 Australians for disclosing their personal information to the This Is Your Digital Life app. Now, only 500 people on Facebook actually use the This Is Your Digital Life app, but then it shares your information with your friends, etc., etc., which led to the 311,000 people. But they went on and sold it to Cambridge Analytica. So it's really interesting to see the state taking such um, a stance like this against a tech company and maybe a lesson to be learned closer to home. Actually, on that note, kind of, um, Dennis O'Brien did an interview with a college newspaper, the College Tribune, I think pretty sure about how we need to stop creating a tax haven for the tech giants. So that's an interesting read. Um, Another thing this week was an issue on the Ray Darcy show. 
um, there was a piece on transgender healthcare, um, and there was Professor O'Shea, who is a healthcare um, professor, obviously. Um, but there was a bit of a backlash because um, Noah Halpin, who is a spokesperson um, for the transgender community and has a position uh, in Tenney, um, he came in and said Professor O'Shea refused a seat on the HSE's Transgender Healthcare Committee which is discussing the future integration of services and Ireland's working relationship with Tavistock. He's not involved in this conversation and was given an opportunity yesterday to give non-factual information as to the recommendations of the workings surrounding paediatric services for transgender children and adolescents in Ireland as well as incorrect information on the use of hormone blockers in this instance. Now The problem here is that there was no transgender voices involved in this conversation about transgender healthcare. As is always the case, no conversations about me without me. Um, And it was was disappointing. Um, And finally, in news this week, the second patient has been cured of HIV this week, which is huge news. And we'll be talking about that later um, and what the repercussions and what that means. Our county this week is Limerick. Now, what is our link for this county this week? Well, here's the tenuous link. Limerick was among four fast-track cities to support HIV awareness and testing. So let's get some Limerick facts. It has a population of 194,899. Andrew's coming in with the hot facts this week. Okay. Our ASMR voice is here. (laughs) Apparently it was founded by the Vikings in 812. Ages ago. That's a long time ago. Ages ago. Uh, Limerick is Ireland's third largest county. Uh, I don't know. Are you just sending me the ones that I should read? I've only got every second one. Have you? Yeah, or I missed the the ones at the top maybe. Okay, Limerick is home to the largest Georgian quarter outside of Dublin, but apparently not for long maybe if some of the proposed developments go ahead. Yeah, there's plans to knock down some Georgian buildings and build some glass structures some student accommodation (laughs) (laughs) some parking space sized rooms to live in your whole life yeah tenements they're called I think tenements Um, there are 10 places in the US called Limerick there you go there's a lot of Irish place names in in the US obviously from people who've settled there I remember uh, going there this summer and there were places there was like a Dundalk is there a Tala I don't know if there's a Tala (laughs) Oh my God. Uh, searches for Tala US. Yeah, maybe. Tallahassee. There you go. That's exactly <laughs> twinned with Tala. <laughs> well, there's really fast cars in Tala and really fast cars in Tallahassee. Is that not, there is that not Tala, Talladega Nights or something? That's the Will Ferrell one, is it? Um, yeah. I think we could be getting a little <laughs> carried away with our Talas here. Um, there's a poem called. I'm raging you got this one. Do you want to do it? I'll, I'll, okay. Um, which was featured in the works of Shakespeare, Lewis Carroll, and even James Joyce. What's it called? A limerick. A limerick. <laughs> I was wondering because I was, didn't have the title here. There's an example of one, and it says there once was a lounger named Stephen whose youth was most odd and uneven. He throve on the smell of a horrible hell that a hottentot wouldn't believe in. So there you go. Go on, James Joyce. Um. It's the most accessible thing he's ever written. (laughs) Um, The most, well, not the most delicious. The most delicious are Bailey's coffees. 
but Irish coffees were invented in Foynes in 1943. Wow, I didn't know that. UL has the longest footbridge in Ireland. Wow. <laughs> I've often wondered <laughs> Wonders, where, yeah. where is the longest footbridge in Ireland. Now I know. This is a yield tale of yonder that still sparks pride in, in the national rugby world. Munster beat the All Blacks in Thoman Park in 1978. Wow, you never hear them talk about that, so you wouldn't <laughs> you wouldn't know. Uh, the last person to be executed in Ireland was from Limerick, and that happened in apparently 1954. Yeah. How like, was it were they hung? Yeah. Right. They were accused of rape and murder. <sighs> well, uh, you know, who am I to judge? Well, I think we can judge execution. No, I do. You know, I'm not necessarily <laughs> saying I agree with the death penalty. In fact, I don't agree with it. But, you know, times were different back then. Yeah. Uh, JFK stopped off in Green Park Racecourse in 1963 for a bit of a chat. Not bad. The Guinness Book of Records' biggest pom pom. <laughs> <laughs> the biggest pom pom ever made was created from 170 balls of wool. Uh, by Salesian Primary School in Fernbank. It was an incredible 1.21 metres high. That's four feet and 3.25 metres wide, which is 10 feet, eight inches. That is a massive pom-pom. Shake your pom-poms. A Limerick lady was the first woman to parachute from a plane and also the first person to fly from Cape Town to London. And her name was Lady Heath. She charities have around the world have a lot to thank her for. Loads of people do parachute jumps for charity. Right, good for her. And we've got some famous people from Limerick uh, who include Frank McCourt, who wrote uh, *Angela's Ashes*, one of the you know most upbeat, cheery books of all time. <laughs> uh, the Cranberries, of course. Uh, Blind Boy. Some guy, I think he does a podcast. Does he? I think so. Uh, Richard. He's in a Harris. bit of trouble. Well, he's not in a trouble. His because there was a. There was a corona moment at one of his shows. Right. So some of the people are self-isolating. Actor Richard Harris, of course, is from Limerick, as is Terry Wogan. Can you do a Terry Wogan impression? I bet you can. No, I can't. No, I can't. No. No, he used to do the ad for Bargain Town or someone did a, do you remember? No. Bargain Town. The prices are only famous. Terry Wogan, he's a great man. Somebody once said uh, um, that I had a voice like Terry Wogan. A lot of uh, people who listen to my podcast do. Someone called me the punk Terry Wogan, which is the greatest compliment I've ever received in my life. Oh, my God. Get a job on the Eurovision. Do you think? Oh, my God. I would love to listen to you talking about the Eurovision. Okay. All right. Done. I'll do it. (laughs) Perfect. Uh, Who do I call? RTE? Ghostbusters. Adam Shanley, previously a HSC sexual health outreach worker, uh, spokesperson for and Dublin service coordinator of Know Now Rapid HIV Testing, whose aim is to normalise HIV testing and promote a more mature and open attitude to accessing sexual health services in non-traditional settings. And he's now programme manager at HIV Ireland. Uh, When we contacted Adam, we approached him on the subject of U equals U, undetectable equals untransmissible. This is something that's spoken about very regularly in queer communities, but maybe not as top of mind in more mainstream society. We wanted to approach this in relation to stigma, fear and panic that surrounds HIV and how to focus on reducing this, especially as we see that behaviour unfold with corona. 
we just want to stay from the outset. We're in no way comparing the two. But perhaps maybe we can be cognizant of what's going on now with a spreading virus and what we can learn from the past. Adam, welcome to the studio. Thanks for having me. How are you? Good. How are you? Not too bad. Fab. Um, it would be fair to say, we're going straight in. Yeah. It would be fair to say that the two main themes that have come out of the recent coronavirus outbreak is fear and contagion. Mm-hmm. Uh, things that have been front and centre in the queer community for so long. And how, can you... Give us maybe an overview of how these have been handled over the years. Yeah, so definitely. I think there's, like you said, you know, they're, they're, uh, HIV and the coronavirus are, are very different, right? But there is a lot of similarities. So, yeah, fear, panic, uh, travel bans. Um, and there's some, you know, positive associations too, like community mobilisation. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the fear, panic thing has a real connection to, to HIV. And that's something that has been... Um, a part of of the HIV epidemic from the get go, um, I suppose. When you know, it's not entirely dissimilar to coronavirus uh, at the very start, uh, people didn't understand how it was uh, transmitted, um, and obviously that you know, as human beings, that that kind of worries us because it could be us. Um, but as we started to learn more and more around uh, how HIV was transmitted. Uh, we started to see fingers being pointed uh, and that then came into that kind of stigma element. Uh, we, there's, there's actually a really, there's a really famous uh, photograph um, of gay men marching on uh, government in, in Washington in the late 80s um, and they had a huge big banner that said we need research not hysteria and that was really kind of exactly the type of, of, of conversation that needed to yeah. be had. We needed to understand HIV um, and not uh, start pointing fingers. And those fingers, uh, as we know, it persists today that those fingers were firmly pointed at, at gay and bisexual men. And also, of course, uh, others in society uh, who were in, indeed othered. So uh, people who use drugs um, and sex workers uh, as well. And, and as we see more and more migrants. Um, so, you know, again, that connection there, I, I, you've probably seen a lot, unfortunately, particularly on social media around how um, particularly uh, Asian people have been uh, seen as, as, as or, or created a, a fear and a panic around around Asian people. Um, there we go. That's a, it's a very clear yeah, yeah. linkage. And, and, you know, there was a report of a young British-born Asian guy in, 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 in the UK who was uh, racially attacked and, 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 and beaten uh, simply because of this, you know, fear and panic around, mm. uh, around it. So, um, you know, that's, it, it, it's, it's something that, unfortunately, you know, we haven't learned a huge amount from. Um, and this isn't just HIV and coronavirus. It, it actually has a link to, uh, to human behaviour over centuries around. Blaming the spread of virus. Like, yeah. you, you can't. It you can't. You can't. And, yeah. and you know, we're, we're all, you know, it, it is literally, you know, biology. These are, these yeah, are yeah. things that, you know, it, it, in a sense, don't discriminate. Uh, it's us that creates the discrimination. And, and we need to be very aware of that, I think. Yeah. And like recent, more recently, much has been done to remove the stigma surrounding HIV. And when the general population has been faced with, granted, a much more contagious and easily spread virus, sure. I feel like it kind of holds a mirror up to the long-held biases against the spread of disease. So, like, I suppose when you have, if you look at HIV, it was like, this is a punishment from God Mm. for gay people. Mm. And, like, even in, like, 
some of my own circles you have like oh that's I, I w- it was my own stupidity that could have led to that me getting that and you're like and I feel like when you are faced with coronavirus now it's like this is ju- it's it, you can prevent it but it's not your fault I absolutely and absolutely. I feel like there's definitely comparisons there there is there is we can we can uh, you know all we can do is is learn more about the virus mm-hmm. uh, and to do our best to try and prevent that so listening to our you know our public health experts and and doing what it is that they say uh, as they learn more uh, that we can um, to prevent you know the, the spread of the virus mm. um, but you're right I mean you know it's so important that we challenge uh, any elements of that stigma as it arises because just as much as you said you know in the early days or again around HIV uh, this is a punishment from God you know this is sinful all the rest an Israeli rabbi this week has come out and said that the reason why uh, Israel is seeing such a high rate of new uh, coronavirus um uh, diagnoses is because Israel allows uh, LGBT pride to happen and this is a retribution from God. I mean, we're so far away from that. Like, we need to stick to what the science tells us yeah, yeah. and challenge at every opportunity because, you know, as you said, it is not our, it, it is not anybody's fault that they acquire any virus. Mm. You know, all we can do is do the best with the knowledge that we have uh, and support and understand each other, particularly when we become uh you know the minority that the finger is pointed at. We need to make sure that we we uh, we try and 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 decouple that and and break the stigma. And it almost feels like because there's a, a different type of stigma because HIV is from sex, and mm. we've so much deeper issues around sure, yeah. sex, and that makes it even bigger, I suppose. Absolutely, absolutely, and uh, you know. Ireland knows that more, more than, than many, mm. you know, uh, around around sex, um, and so I suppose there is there is an element, you know, of of that narrative as it as it goes forward, uh, you know. So one of the examples being you know, at, at the moment when we started to have the first few cases of of coronavirus in Ireland, mm. and there was this kind of public demand to know more than woman from the east but um, that's really really important from a public health perspective because if we put our, ourselves in those people's shoes um, we don't want to you wouldn't want to be splashed all across papers mm-hmm. you know about this um, and again kind of looking to the past we saw that with uh, with patient zero as he was you know incorrectly called at the mm-hmm. time um, was a you know a, a gay man who was a flight attendant and uh, he was um, associated with bringing HIV and AIDS to, to America and and again that's a he, lot to shelter it's isn't a it? huge amount <laughs> oh my yeah. goodness. and it's only it's literally only in the last number of years that uh, they were able to, to you know scientifically dispel that that was the case yeah um, but again, we kind of saw history repeating itself in that uh, a man from the UK who was returning from somewhere in Europe uh, for, for, from meetings and came back, I believe, to, to Brighton or somewhere around London and was attributed to 11 new cases. But again, you know, that's why it's so that's important to have, you know, woman from the East yeah. because because then... What do you mean woman from the East? Sorry, as in, you know, uh, the way... Um, the HSE at the moment when when they're talking about new corona cases they just, they, they just give you know there's region. one exactly yeah. um, because if we're saying you know it's 
Mary, Mary Murphy, could, yeah. yeah. We were, were both <laughs> in for the Marys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, that, you know, that could create all of that kind of an issue. So. Yeah, and like mis- misinformation has always been a prevalent issue mm. and uh, and how it's spread and leading to further isolation and emotional trauma for people with HIV. So how has that been combated and still being combated? And So this kind of goes to what I was saying at the start around, you know, the, the possible positive element which is definitely community mobilisation yeah. uh, community mobilisation and good proper solid fact right so the community mobilisation thing has been fact. a fact it's such a luxury these days isn't, isn't it? it oh my god <laughs> um, so so like that's been a hallmark uh, of the HIV response from from the get go, um, particularly obviously because it disproportionately and still does disproportionately affect uh, queer communities. Um, that we've seen we've seen huge uh, mobilisation of, of that community in, in a response, um, and and ensuring that we put people living with HIV uh, at the very front and centre of, of that, and ensuring that uh, you know. Um, we platform those voices because that is the lived experience and mm. we need to hear that lived experience and uh, language is so incredibly important when we talk about anything like this um, you know again to kind of link it back to the corona bit um, you know the talk of super spreaders and all this kind of stuff that's horrible language but it's being used I mean you know you'll listen to the radio yeah. today and tomorrow and now that it's mentioned you'll recognise it um, and that's that's hugely stigmatizing, and that is the language that has been and continues to be used, used. around people living with HIV, um, and that's massively problematic. But you know, the community is a really important part of responding. And, and uh, as you said at the start, that's some of the work that I and many of my peers are involved in uh, delivering uh, services and delivering information uh, to our community to ensure that, you know, there's there's appropriate and culturally adapted services for gay and bisexual men, but also so that as a community, we can work at tackling that type of language or stigma yeah. or, or things like that. And like you were saying there with the frontline rapid testing, like because of the stigma and shame associated with H- with HIV, loads of people are afraid to get tested. Sure. Have you noticed that with the frontline testing, that's changing? Yeah, definitely. I mean, so we started rapid testing. Uh, so we offer it in bars and clubs and sex and premises venues, so like gay saunas in, in the city. Uh, so Panty Bar, The George, uh, we're in Outhouse as well and in the Boiler House. And when we started, whatever it was, three and a half years ago, uh, and we kind of put it out there that like, you know, we're going to be testing uh, with this really novel kind of test. You get a result in 60 seconds. We're going to be doing that in your local gay bar. Uh, the response was like, are you nuts? Yeah. You know, this, uh, this, you Nobody know, is going to do nobody's that. Nobody's going to do this. And because HIV is such a, you know, quote unquote, serious thing. Private issue. And private and, you know, and you're doing it in a, in a very public space. Um, so we had a lot of work to try and un- untackle or to tackle an, an, uh, that narrative because, you know, first of all, you know, we weren't walking up to you at Panty Bar in the middle of like Madonna and Kylie <laughs> and going, you know, you're negative, you're negative, you know. Um, well, it's a very contained private space uh, in in these venues um, we have you know our, our volunteers it's gay and bisexual men offering this test to other gay and bisexual men so it's peer led um, up to you know a gold standard of training so they know what they're talking about they know what to do 
Um, so we had to kind of settle that first. And then it was a case of, well, when I walk up to you in Panty Bar and I register for the test, I'm indicating to the rest of the bar, oh, I take risks, I could have HIV. And we were like, no, actually, well, you're, you walk up to us, what you're indicating to the rest of the bar is, I take responsibility for my sexual health. I know my HIV status. And no matter if it's uh, a positive result or a negative result, uh, I know it and I can stay healthy now, you know. And that was the kind of narrative that we had to try and change. And that has made a huge difference in terms of people coming forward for for testing. Um, One of the kind of hallmarks of, of why we offer testing in a community space is because there are people who will never cross the threshold of a clinic either because of you know real or perceived uh, issues with dealing with clinicians around sex and again this kind of goes back to our legacy of sex in Ireland right Um, so when you're kind of sat in front of you know, another gay or bisexual man, it's like, well, if I wanted to talk about Marissa or any other yeah, thing, yeah. I know that he knows and he gets it, yeah, you know? Yeah. And so it can be, it really lowers the, the, the threshold and it normalizes testing and normalizes us talking about our sexual health and our sexual well-being, which is really important too. Mm. Now, you've spoken about men a, a lot. Mm. <laughs> and in, <laughs> in Ireland, uh, we have had an 8% increase in diagnosed infections last year, but annually women represent approximately a quarter of those newly diagnosed with HIV. And to be honest, we don't hear a lot about that at all. Um, And the National Global Health Network held an event in Smock Alley in November and they couldn't find one woman willing Mm. to speak on the panel. Why do you think that is and what do you think we should do about it? So, yeah, I mean, Again, this kind of speaks a little bit to community mobilisation and stigma, right? So, again, you know, gay and bisexual men have been really good at at doing that. And because you have a critical mass of people, there's a bit of a of a connection and we've got your back. You know, somebody who has it, has it or through it. Absolutely. And so so with 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 women, you're absolutely totally right. It's you know, HIV in women is is nearly a silent element of the of of the epidemic um, there's a there's a fabulous researcher called Ellie Marling uh, Ellie Marling who's doing uh, her PhD around women and HIV and she has done a lot of research in trying to pull out you know the reasons why and, and it's it's it, it's very different depending on your background and mm-hmm. um, so like that you know Irish born people seeing it as a as a m- much more stigmatized because there's not that community around around women living with HIV in Ireland as there is with gay and bisexual men and I suppose I'm completely generalizing so correct me there is an, an openness around sexual encounters in the gay community Absolutely. in the gay men community yeah. whereas you don't there's still almost a stigma about women having sex yeah like and so there's that level before you even get near HIV it's totally. like it's literally just women having sex yeah is a is a big deal to, and to talk about that it's kind of seen as oh she's a slut absolutely yeah yeah and that and that and then that's there's a per- pervasiveness of that then you know that if if gay and bisexual men or, or queer people are able to speak take control of their sexuality absolutely and take control of that narrative as well um so, so I think that's part of why we don't see as much. However, uh, HIV Ireland um, have uh, women-specific peer uh, uh, groups for women living with HIV, and that's growing more and more. And I think with 
the um, from what I hear from my colleagues who who, who work with, with with women living with HIV, is that. Um, particularly now when we hear more about U equals U and we're having wider, you know, conversations in society about our, our sex and bodily autonomy and, you know, obviously the, the, the previous referenda being really big catalysts for that. Um, there is more of a, I, I guess there's more, we're forging more of a pathway into conversations, you know, but a lot more yeah, needs to be good. done. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, with the advent of, of, of PrEP as well, what we will prep the prep and you equals you stuff and we can talk about that but with that you know we are likely to see hopefully more uh, we're going to see less and less uh, new HIV diagnoses among gay and bisexual men because that's where prep is kind of being targeted at at the moment yeah but when that happens, we're going to see the disproportionately that the numbers disproportionately affect women mm. uh, we don't have to wait you know for that to happen we should have been we should be doing that right now yeah. so um so yeah really important that we don't forget women in any of this yeah uh tell me this you mentioned u equals u mm. what's that <laughs> <laughs> so u equals u equals uh, u equals u equals <laughs> u equals u equals u stands for undetectable equals untransmittable so essentially what that means is that if a person is living with hiv and they're on uh, treatment it brings the virus in a person's body down to such a low level that essentially it's still there, but it can't be picked up by a test. If it's at such a low level like that, undetectable, uh, someone cannot pass on HIV. So undetectable equals untransmittable, but basically means if a person is living with HIV and they have a, are on effective treatment, they cannot pass on HIV. It's game changing. It's not new information, actually. Um, Where did it co- what, what what happened? What happened? So basically, you know, uh, so the, the the kind of the history of of the treatment of HIV. So obviously, in the early days, we we you know we were scrambling to understand. Then shortly after that, we were looking at um, at you know experimenting with all of the drugs that might work, and then we kind of settled in the in the you know early mid two thousands around these antiretroviral drugs which were working really well they weren't only keeping people alive but they were keeping people healthy um, there was a, a, a study that which is now kind of known as the Swiss statement which came out in 2008 which was able to say that what we have recognised these researchers scientists what we've recognised is that if someone is taking their medication and they uh, are maintaining that medication we're seeing that people living with HIV that are having uh, condomless sex with people that don't have HIV, that the HIV is not being passed. And they're saying, okay, like we're really confident that this is something that, you know, is an extra added benefit of, of, of treatment. But the medical community was like, oh, God, no, well, that means, and this again wrapped up in lots of fear and stigma. Yeah. Well, that means that people might start like not using condoms again or enjoy sex perhaps um, what what <laughs> um so so there was a bit and and you know not to you know not to completely dump on the on the clinicians there's there's you know due diligence on this stuff of course Use concepts. yeah like Please. let's let's consider everything um and let's make sure that you know this is one isolated study let's let's figure it out mm. so there was a bit of a there was a bit of a kind of a silence for quite a while no clinician or no scientist really wanted to go out on a limb and, and, and really look for this. Um, 
until one really deadly one did and said, okay, I'm going to do a study. Um, and it was mostly, you know, uh, zero difference, which is, you know, one living with HIV, one not, uh, couples who uh, were sometimes or not, not at all, uh, not wearing condoms. Yeah. And so they enrolled all of these people, um, hundreds and hundreds of couples, in this study called the Partner Study. And uh, they basically recorded over 60,000 different sex acts between these zero different couples. And after that, they were able to say, actually, there were no wow. transmissions. Wow. Right? Which was incredible. But then when that was you know, announced into the world, yeah. uh, the um, the clinicians, the more conservative clinicians were like, oh, that's all well and good. But most of that was heterosexual sex. So it's probably different for the gays. So, you know, we're not really too is keen. There, is there a change in biology I, in your sexuality? You know, <laughs> like, so So they were like, you know, and so to put it to bed, excuse the point, <laughs> to put it to bed it, entirely, you know, it was like, well, you know what, I, we're going to make sure that we get this right. So they, they then uh, established Partner 2, which was solely uh, gay and bisexual men, uh, couples, serial different couples. And again, when same they did the exact same result, and now that was the scientific evidence yeah, to really sure. put it, you know, put put the the grounding in U equals U. And at this point now, there is absolutely no yeah. excuse for any, any government, questions. any any health service, not to get behind the U equals U message. Uh, in more good news, we have seen in the last few days the second person has been cured of HIV. Yeah, yeah, which is which is great news. Um, you know, it's so so basically what this story is. There was originally the first person uh, was named as uh, the London patient, and this person is, as far as I'm aware, is the Berlin patient, or maybe it's the other way around. Sorry, uh, but anyway, these two these two guys basically living with HIV, but also had um, but also uh, had cancer. And part of the treatment for cancer was a bone marrow transplant, right? And the, I know so, this is... So it's not as... This isn't as straightforward, as, okay. you know. So the bone marrow transplant of the donors uh, that gave the bone marrow transplant, they had a really, really rare, really rare, okay. yeah. Uh, okay, we're, Jeanette, stick, we're sticking with U equals U. Yeah, essentially. U equals U. Uh, uh, yeah. What would you say is the biggest threat around the rise of HIV? Um, the biggest threat of the rise of HIV, I suppose that we have all of the tools to end mm. HIV in Ireland. There's no reason now between PrEP, between U equals U yeah. and, and busting stigma. Um, there's no reason why we should have uh, you know, Any, more HIV yeah. infections in, in Ireland or, or, or anywhere that has access to yeah. those things. So uh, I think the big threat is our ignorance. If, if we don't adopt like across the country, across the world, this U equals U message. And that if we don't figure out what it is that works for us, condoms, pack yeah. or whatever, um, to prevent HIV, that's that's the main thing. And I'm going to tr- throw in a, a little chemsex yeah. question. How do we feel? What's the buzz there? Uh, this is the... This is the biggest Hot and topic. most urgent issue facing um, particularly the gay community at the moment. Mm. Um, look, and I mean, it's growing, isn't it's, it? It's growing. I mean, you know, just from the outset, you know, people enjoy sex and drugs and that's not a new, a new thing, right? And it's not... Uh, a conversation around this isn't about finger-wagging. Uh, people enjoy drugs recreationally and and you know once they are doing that from a good place and mm-hmm. they know how to look after themselves and their partners or their friends 
go do it. Um, but it's when people are using drugs and sex as a crutch for a bigger issue, so self-esteem, mental health issues and that type of thing, um, then, then we have an issue, then we have a problem. And that's what we're seeing uh, more and more in Ireland around G, particularly G and Crystal Matthews, where um, there's there are very specific dangers around the use of those drugs or the, or the misuse of those, of those drugs. Um, but particularly if we're using them to try and mask difficulties that we're facing. Um, and we're seeing that more and more uh, now. So, I mean, we're developing um, harm reduction responses to that. So, you know, if you're going to take these drugs, here's how to take them safely. safely. Um, there is detox available for people that are addicted, but that's not, you know, it's good, but it's not good but enough. It's not going to stop the societal reasons to want to do it. Absolutely. You know, you're not going to get rid of that, you know, um, self-stigma or the self-esteem issue or the mental health problems um, on, on you know you can detox off that drug but all those things are still there yeah, yeah, so yeah. the reason for using the drug uh, is, is is still uh, in place so we're looking at uh, developing alongside the harm reduction stuff we're developing uh, responses to um, like peer-led support and looking at other ways that you can maybe break free from from um, the the issues that uh, that might be motivating you to, to get to do involved in it. Yeah. And finally, mm. <laughs> um, as we're all facing into this unknown world of coronavirus, have you any advice to impart on how to handle it? A small little question to end on. <laughs> A small little answer. Uh, wash your hands and don't be a racist, I think. Great advice. <laughs> I think that's perfect. Yeah, I think that's I think that's a good one to to to, to impart. On. Yeah. Thank you so much, Adam, for coming in. That was very enlightening. Cheers. Thanks so much. Now to get in the sea this week, those absolute greedy mongers who are profiteering off coronavirus. One hundred and fifty euro for some masks. Are you on out of out of your mind? Cop on hand sanitizer. A suggestion. A suggestion of hand sanitizer. A drip for ten euro. Uh, there was also a. I think there was a chemist who was like charging three hundred euro for some other mask combo sanitizer. Masks don't work unless you have it. Let's be straight here. They don't work. They are needed in places like hospitals and people who do have it. So stop hoarding this shit when you don't need it. Stop being greedy. Stop charging a fortune and cop on and get in the sea. Can we also put the people in the sea who stole a load of masks from St. Luke's Hospital in, in Dublin Cancer Hospital and they stole masks from there. Those people can get in the sea, back out of the sea and then back into the sea uh, with some heavy weights on them, I think. Like what? I don't know. Like, and this is the shit we need to be so careful of right now is not to be getting selfish and not to be thinking about yourself. We're all in this together and the thing, uh, Fintan O'Toole wrote an article about how the one thing from coronavirus is that now our healthcare system means we're all in it together, that we are, that our society has become one unit, that we all have to work together and there's no private sector, it, there's no boundaries to coronavirus. Um, so stop just thinking about yourself. Think about the people who are um, vulnerable and let's kick this virus's arse. Yeah, also the people who are buying all the toilet paper. 
I don't think they can eat. I don't think they even need to get in the sea. I think they just need to like get a grip. Like what you like what use a towel if you need to. It's just, um, you know, it's maybe at some point in a couple of weeks we'll be, you know, jealous of all those people who have all, all that delicious toilet paper to eat. But who knows? Uh, there has been suggestions to maybe stock up on Nurofen and paracetamol. Calpol for the kids. Mm. So that's that's fair. Uh, get a packet or two. Don't be buying 20 packets and don't be a sap. They don't let you buy more than one packet of paracetamol anyway. Do they not? No. Good. <laughs> anyway. Stop profiteering off Corona. Get in the sea. Stop being greedy. We're all in this together. On a brighter note, here's some of my fave bits this week. First up, I love this. I love it's so gorgeous. It's the Irish Cookbook by J.P. McMahon, and it's a comprehensive collection of 500 authentic home cooking recipes drawn from thousands of years of Irish food. Um, and it celebrates quality and variety of Irish ingredients. Obviously, I'm reading uh, the description, but. It, they say it better because I haven't read it yet. From the oysters and seaweed on the west coast to the beef and lamb from its lush pastures to the wild forest food, berries and oats found throughout the island. Presenting best loved traditional dishes alongside many lesser known gems, the book explores every aspect of Irish home cooking, including soups, stews, potato dishes, yum, high potatoes, pies, pota- puddings, butters, curds, pre- preserves, pickles, breads, drinks and spirits in one stunning package. And it also goes back about our history and why we eat what we do and all that kind of jazz and it's beautifully illustrated and it's just a gorgeous book um, and as an aside to that I have been practising uh, my news announcements um, I was just telling Andrew that if you turn off the sound when the subtitles are up you can pretend you're doing the news and I feel like it's really like bringing me to a more professional ability with my announcements second off of my announcements this week two people no I'm only joking um, there was this uh, forest it's hidden in inverted commas in the shape of a Celtic cross has emerged in Donegal created by the Irish forester Liam Emery he's dead now but he met, he planted all these different trees so that when you fly overhead you just see this Celtic cross in the trees cool. isn't that just gorgeous like I'm sorry gorgeous and like all the issues with our forests and quilts greed and all the shenanigans going on I think just a beautiful forest statement is absolutely heartwarming and I am delighted I'm also delighted with our Irish Eurovision entry The Story of My Life um, by Leslie Roy um, is an absolute banger it was launched last week on RTE and then in the George at Davina's Thirsty Thursdays and then uh, there was a performance at Mother. Leo Radker was there as well. Hi, Leo. Uh, but it um, is an absolute tuna chicken roll and it is being produced, the show, for the Eurovision if it goes ahead. Fingers crossed by This Is Pop Baby, who's uh, where we live actually starts today as part of the uh, St. Patrick's Day Festival. So even though the parade is cancelled, there's still lots of stuff going on um, for St. Patrick's Day. Obviously self-isolate and stay away from people and don't be social. But if you are very healthy, maybe pop into a show, but sit like a metre away from everyone. Be responsible. Uh, And finally, on Fave Bits. Myself and Andrew had a podcast night out without Una. We don't really like her. <laughs> that's not that's, that's not a lie, obviously. Um, but we went to see an amazing film called Calm at Horses. Now, if you're of a nervous disposition or <laughs> your favourite film is Made in Manhattan, um, maybe think about going to see it because it is extremely 
violent, but it is also extremely brilliant. Um, Barry Keown, I can, Keown, Keown, Barry Keown is in it. And also, oh my God, there's this other guy. His name is Cosmo. If you're listening, Cosmo, please marry me. You, He's absolute, <laughs> like I was obsessed with him in the film. He's a very good actor. I just love some talent close by. Mm. It's also an absolute belting ride. And Michael Fassbender was there. He produced it with his wife and it was absolutely brilliant. Yeah, great film. Really, really recommend it. And uh, Michael Fassbender is tiny. Yeah, I think there's a real, like most actors are smaller than you think they are. Mm. The screen definitely adds... Well, when you're looking it's at the 18-foot-high version of them on, on the I cinema know, but screen. But I, yeah. think, I feel like their presence gives them a yeah. bigger status, perhaps, physically. Sure. Um, but yeah, it's absolutely brilliant. Cannot, definitely would recommend, um, but do be wary of it being terrifying. Um, and also, something else to think about. Maybe during these anxiety-ridden days, and I don't, I don't usually suffer from with anxiety, so I was shocked to find myself a little bit anxious-ridden. Don't be afraid to turn to lovely Made in Manhattan-type films that are positive and uplifting. We need some uplifting shit in our life, and there's enough like terrifying shit going on in the world right now to not bring that into your mind. Whoever is programming sci-fi needs to get a grip. They had twelve monkeys on last night. 12 monkeys are you actually joking me like that is the last thing I need to be thinking of anyway more to the point J-Lo news this week J-Lo did a podcast with Oprah Um, it's very good my only problem is the absolutely in bits Weight Watchers ads in it um, before and they blast one out in the middle of it check lose weight blah 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 fuck off Oprah you're better than this having that shit in your um in your podcast if I want to listen to Jello, I don't want that shit wrecking my head um, another thing she did she did the flip the switch do you know what the flip the switch is oh Andrew what's that so this is all the rage on TikTok right so basically uh, your one did it on SNL with Elizabeth Warren I didn't really watch that is basically you do a dance or something and then you swap turn the light out I saw one I actually saw one on Twitter a guy with a dog he was in his bathroom I love how we're showing our age I saw one of these TikTok things on Twitter one one of these um, (laughs) TikTok TikTok um, doohickeys was on the Twitter box (laughs) yeah it was great there was a guy and he was sitting there and he was in his bathroom uh, and his dog is lying down by the sink Uh and he's standing there and he's got his like hoodie on and then does the switch and he's topless lying where the dog was and the dog is just standing up wearing a hoodie going what the fuck is oh my god it's great that was good well J-Lo did it with her fella and he's dancing around in her dress VG J-Lo and then she was hanging out with Billie Eilish and I love Billie Eilish and I love J-Lo so that is a partner in joy Uh, this podcast is produced by Andrew Magan at Castaway Media you should say it this week uh, with support from Susie Bennett and Crystal Clear gave us his tuna chicken roll for our soundtrack and Sarah Fox did all of our design this week as our journey brings us to Limerick our journey airily will go to Limerick as well the tuna chicken roll this week I could we have to is that, is that greedy could be greedy I'm pretty greedy we'll see okay now just one We'll have the cranberries 
and it's Dreams, which is one of the greatest songs ever. But this version is live from Fela in 1994. And I just feel like I'm there reliving it. Dolores is there. We're all in happier times, pre-coronavirus, wrecking our buzz. She hasn't been Una Malady. I've been Andrea Horan. I've been me. You have to say your name. Andrew. This has been United Ireland, and that was Limerick. Do-